This podcast was produced by members of the Pinsker Centre Policy Fellowship. The Pinsker Centre is a think tank which focuses on global foreign policy whilst promoting freedom of speech and fighting intolerance. If you'd be interested in learning more about our work, follow the Pinsker Centre on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Applications for the Policy Fellowship Programme will open in the spring. Welcome to another episode of People Talk Politics. In George Orwell's seminal work of 1984, he highlighted the importance of individuals' right to freedom of expression and the dangers of state censorship and control of the media. In the novel, the state restricts the people's right to voice their opinions, which are often in line with the truth, and enforces a distorted sense of reality. As I'm sure you know, the narrator in the novel states that freedom is the freedom to say that two plus two makes four. In today's climate of deep platforming and cancel culture, the concept of freedom of expression is coming under threat. And there's no better way to see this play out than on our university campuses. Joining me today to discuss this issue of freedom of expression on our campuses are Pinsker Fellows Eli Lassman from Bristol University, Nolan Judd from the University of Glasgow, and myself, Romy Wolfson from Cambridge University. So I think the first issue to discuss to set the scene here is how we define freedom of speech. Perhaps Eli, you could perhaps define the concept of freedom of expression for us. Yeah, sure. So I think this is a really good starting point because whenever we discuss something, it's of utmost importance to know exactly what it is that we're discussing. And I think that in this context, and specifically in the context of your introduction, it's of even more importance to do so, given Orwell's definition of free speech and one that I disagree with. So I think first to to understand what freedom of speech is, we first understand must understand what type of freedom it is and that it's in fact a negative freedom. Now, a negative freedom is the freedom from interference as opposed to a positive freedom which is the freedom to do something now when it comes to free speech free speech simply means the freedom from interference the freedom from suppression or the freedom from punishment from the government it means nothing else now it doesn't mean that you have the right to speak anytime and any place It also doesn't mean that you have the right to demand some sort of support, whether financial or other form of material or mental, from others uh, to express your views at the expense of other men. So I think that this highlights a very important problem when it comes to the discussion surrounding free speech, which is that even so-called advocates of free speech don't understand the concept as they should, or to the resolution that they should, even someone as esteemed as George Orwell. So I think that in order to progress in this debate, even amongst ourselves, we first must have some sort of unity on the agreement on what this thing is. And I'd love to hear your thoughts about this definition and also to hear how important you think this particular freedom actually is. Thanks, Eli. And I 
I would say personally that I agree with the negative aspect of your definition, but I would still like to stress, I think there is a positive element to free speech and it isn't just freedom from interference. <clears throat> there is to some degree a right to um, propose your like opinion. Like there is still a positive aspect to it. If everyone had like their opinions just in the negative definition, then we really wouldn't know of each other's opinions. And that's a crucial element of it, that there isn't just this freedom from interference from others, but there's also <clears throat> a positive element of imparting information. Like your opinion is an element of yourself and it's free from the influence of others, but there's still this aspect of relaying this to others. And there's that positive element that I think is a crucial um, component of the definition to recognize. So I don't think this undermines the exclusivity of freedom of speech being a negative liberty, because the negative liberty doesn't imply that you cannot express your ideas. You still you must express your ideas. And yet the freedom of speech component is the the freedom of from others interfering with that expression. OK, uh, I could get behind that component yes i think it's two descriptions of the same thing so i i would probably uh i understand where you're coming from as well eli in terms of negative the negative obligation sort of not having interference from the state um but then i suppose the other question becomes in terms of interference from others um and i suppose that's where like uh i know we'll just probably discuss it later in terms of cancel culture and deplatforming by people that are not the government um, and, you know, that are not official universities or that, but are rather like student unions or student associations, um, like what rights do they have to uh, deplatform others and to, to cancel others? Um, but yeah, I would also tend to agree with Norlin in that um, I think we do have, uh, I think what you what you're basically saying is, is you know, if you flip it on its head, that you have a right to freedom of expression without interference from the government, which is just the, the opposite way of saying, uh, you know, what you already said. Um, the point is, are there any limitations on it where it might be seen as being hateful or hurtful to others or offensive to others? Is that also considered uh, free speech? always you know what are the limits of free speech well i can only tell you what my opinion is and to to me that question is misleading in the sense that you mentioned what are the limitations of free speech can it be hateful now there are no limitations on free speech but of course speech can be full of hate uh, it can be offensive it can incite violence it can do many things um, but there are no limitations to speech and a limitation on free speech is a contradiction in terms. Now, I personally am a free speech absolutist. That means that I do not think that the government has any right to restrict one's freedom to express their opinions. That doesn't preclude private individuals or businesses. Uh, my house, my rules applies to any private company and also any individual uh, when when you are on their property. Now, this property can be when you're in their home, it can be when you work for them, or it can be when you're on their platform, like Twitter. Uh, 
Now, this introduces a greater problem or a greater, perhaps not problem, but discussion, which is, well, if we accept this as correct, if we accept that that is what freedom of speech is, well, what do we do when a large platform like Twitter or a large institution like academia start curtailing freedom of speech? Now, despite this being so-called within their right to do so, this clearly has a very negative impact. Uh, and I think that in the, in the sense of academia, the institution of ideas, especially the institution of dominant ideas, academia downstreams to culture, downstreams to politics, downstreams to everything. So when it comes to academia, curtailing freedom of speech, when it comes to academic, specific academics who are not allowed to say what they think, yet we, we have a serious problem on our hands. And this is certainly the case here in the UK. I know that a few months ago, there was a professor at the University of Sussex, if I remember correctly, who wrote an academic paper about the biological differences between men and women. Now, I don't remember all the ins and outs, so perhaps I've missed a, a detail here or two, but they're negligible. The point being is she published this paper and received such a backlash that she either had to leave the university or that she was fired. I don't remember exactly which one. But the point is, academia, the institution of ideas, is no longer a institution for the free exchange of ideas. Yes, <laughs> Eli, I, would, I would agree with you that. And I think when it comes to free speech in society, we need to understand that like, humans are social creatures. So an exchange between me and another individual, the free speech can be limited by me turning around or walking away. But when it comes to universities, like they are, <clears throat> they serve a role in our society to be an exchange of ideas and opinions. And that's something that has existed since the Middle Ages in Western culture <clears throat> is the university as this forum. And when you start putting limits on what opinions are validated in this forum, there are problems with <clears throat> the discussions that come out of it. Like if we're only limiting certain opinions, then is this really an exchange or is this an echo chamber? And <laughs> recently it's becoming narrower and narrower and narrower that the certain opinions that are validated in these forums are becoming skewed. And that's just due to uh, the social aspect becoming not as wide as it was and also serving like an end goal. Like if the opinions are politicized to one direction, then it's not a true exchange as it's already gonna have a presupposed outcome. Yeah, I, I totally agree with, with what you what you've said, Nolan, and I think you make very good points as well, Eli. Um, in terms of the the dangers that uh limiting freedom of speech has, um, and that it just, you know, it ends up going into a downward, downward spiral. Um, I think that's also the importance of, you know, these debating unions and that at universities. Um for example, I mean, I'm sure you also have a dual university, it's like the Cambridge Union, um, which often has controversial speakers and is not to everyone's taste, but the fact that they are allowed to have their opinions not only aired, but also challenged, 
uh, I think is very important um, it, at universities, which are supposed to provoke us and supposed to, to challenge um, understandings of, of the world. Um, but saying that, there also have been huge protests uh, recently at Cambridge, um, like with Dan Merridor and with some others that they've had. Um, and they are entitled to protest because that's also their uh, freedom of speech, which um, is, I know you you define it, Eliza, negative right, but I also see the positive <laughs> element of that as, you know, the right to protest, but not so much so that it prevents the speaker from actually uh, being able to talk. Um, for example, you know, in South Africa, they also had, uh, you know, musicians come play uh, at universities which had uh, political backgrounds that were not to everyone's liking. And there were also mass protests that were trying to prevent the musician from coming to play, uh, which I think had nothing to do with the concert at all. Um, and I think it's these kinds of situations that become more uh, problematic. And um, it's it's this kind of thing that we, you know, we, we need to discuss. Um, if universities are going to go forward like this, what is the, how, you know, what's it going to be like in a few generations' time? Yeah, I think those are very good points. And going back to what Nolan said, I think you, you bring out a very important and fundamental part of free speech, which is that this freedom includes the freedom to disagree. It includes the freedom to turn away, the freedom not to listen, and also the freedom to hear and then support the opposite. So I think that's a very, very important, crucial part that you that you highlight. And then Romy, as to what you were saying, well, just very briefly on the freedom to protest or the right to protest, well, once again, it, you don't have the right to go into someone else's property and protest, uh, you, which is essentially what is happening at universities. Now this highlights a greater issue which is that universities are impotent at this, at, at students' demands. There's not much that they can do about it. They're completely helpless, as are the police. Uh, I can tell you from my own experience, I run a student society at the University of Bristol. Last year, we brought in a speaker to talk about war. And this speaker was from Israel. He had 30 roughly 30, 20 to 30 students protest outside of the lecture theater. Now this was inside the building itself. All of these students did not have their student cards on them. So as for university guidelines, they could have been escorted off the premises, but neither the security or the police wanted to deal with them. So they just let them sit there and make animal noises trying to disrupt the talk. And unfortunately, they were very disruptive. But the point being is that they don't have the right to go into someone else's property. They don't have the right to demand that we listen. What they do have the right is to speak whatever they want in their own homes. So once again, this comes back to the negative element of freedom of speech. You do not have the right to come into my home. You do not have the right to come into my property. You do not have the right to go on my platform and say whatever you like. If let's take the extremes, let's think of, of uh, Nazis and communists. Well, those two abhorrent philosophies are different strains, 
of the same ideal of collectivism. Now, they're both fundamentally evil, but both Nazis and communists should have the right to speak however they like on their own premises. That being said, no one can tell me that if a Nazi or a communist comes into my house, I must A, hear them out, or B, let them speak, let them keep on my property. I can ask them to leave. And in a, in a country with a solid rule of law, they would probably do so. I don't know about the UK, but hopefully in the ideal, ideal society that we're going to bring about, criminals will not come into your house and spew Nazi or communist ideology. Yeah, and I see what you're saying, and I'd agree with that. Like within your certain like confines, whether it's like a house or in the case of like a business, it's it's building. There are these limits, but I think the greater issue is that the like concept of debate now has changed like rapidly. To like a traditional debate structure, every <clears throat> side of the argument has their own like speaking times, and they have this format to allow them to listen, to respond, to rebut. But now like debate in society has changed rapidly to be more of just like speaking over each other. So it's no longer hearing what the opposite, like opposing side has to say. It's trying to make your opinion louder and cloud the other's opinions. And <clears throat> I mean, if you look at any protest today, that's what they're doing is there's people standing on opposite sides of the street trying to speak over each other. If you see any political debate now these days, it's no longer trying to share their own opinion. It's trying to speak over. And that's that's not freedom of speech because you're not allowing another person to have an opposing idea. You're trying to make your idea the only one hurt. And is that really free? No, <clears throat> because their opinion is not hurt. It's it's their right to express their own like ideas is inhibited. There is interference, as Eli was saying earlier, that debate nowadays is just trying to interfere with and degrade the opposing side's ideals. So that way there's only one standing. It's, it's <clears throat> sad, but it's almost like a uh, lack of better words. It is <clears throat> trying to like play music louder than the other. So that way your music's only one heard. And I think that's just a societal problem that needs to be changed. And the traditional ways of debate are fading rapidly. And I think that's unfortunate, but that's also like that came out of the university and it would be a shame to allow the new direction of debate to take over in the university sphere. So I, I, I'll quickly interject here. And I, I think that I agree with you. I think another problem when it comes to debate is that most people today, or at least in most people that I, I associate with, they find arguments, what, what is called an argument from intimidation or an argument from uh, a, a certification as very important, as, as almost uh, completely in influencing and shaping their opinions. Now, what do I mean by those? So an argument from intimidate, intimidation is when you make some sort of assertion and then the per another person goes, well, surely you can't believe that or, or surely you don't like Plato or surely you're not a capitalist or whatever it is that it is, implying that being one of these things is necessarily bad, but making a moral judgment without actually judging morally. Uh, so, and then the, the other argument that a lot of people tend to make is that if you're not a professor of linguistics or if you're not a CEO 
of a finance company, then you ought not to talk about finance and you ought not to talk about linguistics. That if you don't have some sort of certification, you cannot comment on whatever subject matter it is. Now, the reason why I brought out two particular evil ideologies and the extremes, Nazism and communism, was specifically because I want to emphasize that while we have this discussion over freedom of speech, and while universities could tell this by banning specific speakers, this does not mean that if a speaker invites over a, if a university invites over a speaker that has v- views that are abhorrent, like a, let, let's let's say an arty, a communist, a rapist advocate, whatever it may be, that not giving them a platform is curtailing freedom of speech. It is in no way that thing. And because of that, I can understand why a lot of students call to bar and de-platform certain, certain speakers, because in their mind, they have been convinced that speakers such as Yaron Brook, the particular speaker that I held, is in fact a fascist or a Nazi. Uh, now, in, in, in reality, there are no Uh, there are no facts of reality to base their claims but they have been convinced that that is the case so i can understand where they're coming from and i think that's the the broader issue because students are far more influenced by what other students seem to to say rather than looking into things themselves so yeah uh, romy i wonder what what your thoughts are on that yeah i think uh you guys have both made very interesting points. Um, I think the only point of differentiation that I would add um, in terms of obviously in your own home, you can no one can monitor what you say or believe um, in terms of the, the Nazis and, and communist example. But in a university, you are in a in a public space. Um, I, th- I think the same goes for um, social media. And that's why it tends to be re- uh, regulated. Um, and a university, uh, I'm just saying it, I'm not saying that it, you know, that everything needs to be regulated, but I'm just saying the difference is that you are in a public space. So you are more open to the possibility of, um, veering into the realm of, of hate speech. Um, and that's, I know that's, that's a whole nother, uh, topic. Um, but, uh, because I mean, for example, like in, in South Africa, there was a, uh, a speech uh, from a Kasatu member. He was a trade unionist. There was a it became like a famous case that went all the way to the top of the constitutional court, which is the highest court in the the country. And he ended up rallying the crowd, and it turned into a calling for violence against uh, Zionists. And uh, the question was whether that became a question of hate speech or whether it was just political rallying and um you know whether it was freedom of speech and uh basically after a lot of touring and throwing and that in, in litigation um it came down to the uh the context and obviously incitement to violence so i think um in those contexts there has to be in my opinion uh there has to be some limit of speech where you're in a public forum and someone is calling for incitement to violence against a, a certain group of people, you know, based on ethnicity or race or, or gender or whatever. Um, but obviously, 
I still have a very, very broad notion of, of freedom of speech. Um, and I think it's interesting also what you said, I can't remember who said it, I think it was Eli, that, um, you know, sort of branding people as, oh, you can't believe in, you know, Plato because, you know, he's necessarily bad. I think that also comes down to um, like woke culture and that and seeing everything in terms of, uh, you know, things are necessarily good and necessarily bad. There's no room for nuance. There's no room for um, complex arguments or ideas. So um, I think the, you know, the idea of cancel culture and that is sort of linked up in this new woke culture that we we find ourselves in. I don't know what you guys think about that. I'll start. <clears throat> so an interesting um, direction I was thinking about the like limits of free speech is George Orwell in his preface that he later abandoned for Animal Farm. He said, if liberty means anything at all, it means the right to tell people what they do not want to hear. And I think that's an interesting um, definition to like look upon when you approach like the limits of free speech is because, yes, there, it, there can be opinions that are inherently opposed to and even offensive to someone. And <clears throat> there's still this like antagonism from speech, but at what point can you limit that? And if you want to take like the state's approach, like does the state have the right to limit these offensive opinions? And <clears throat> maybe this is my American bias, but that is like a no, because <clears throat> the government deeming what is considered offensive or what is considered acceptable free speech is a dangerous precedent that has been exploited by past authoritarian regimes. And if you look <clears throat> back like communist Russia, the government would take this like mantle upon themselves and it slowly just became a way to limit dissent. And within the concept of like universities, they are state institutions, but they're also like this state is a democratic state and democracy means having different opinions. So the university should not take the mantle upon itself to deem what is acceptable and what is not <laughs> um, free speech. But at the same time, since it is a forum, there needs to be the opinions of others ex like accepted. If one student takes this radical approach that might be deemed unacceptable by society, like that is the right of students to express that. Like there are 25,000 students at my university. There are 25,000 opinions at my university. There shouldn't be just one opinion that is decided by the upper reaches of the university. So that's my approach to it. And I mean, there certainly are limits where hate speech, for example, can become an incitement to violence. You can't call fire in a theater just to have everybody run out because that creates unnecessary risk. And so at the same time, if you call upon one group to engage in violent activity, that in, in a way it's not no longer free speech, it's creating like actual harm and words can have harm, but the difference between opinion and action is great and government should only be focused on the latter. Yeah, so I, th I think those are really interesting points. I think that, first of all, Romy, you, you highlighted the underlying problem with regards to free speech, and that is that the discussion is centred, and it must be centred, around public institution, around public spaces. I mean, no one talks about free speech in your home because it isn't an issue. You don't have this when it comes to 
private institutions. Uh, at least you, you shouldn't have this when it comes to private institutions. Unfortunately, we do have it in, on, on platforms like, like Twitter and Facebook. But at the end of the day, the problem is that we have public spaces. And if we if these spaces did not exist, well, then we wouldn't have this issue of freedom of speech. At least that's what I want to believe. Now, when it comes to hate speech, well, it, in the history of the debate, at least to my knowledge, no one, and I mean no one, has been able to properly define and adequately define what the hell this thing is. So if, I, I would love to hear if, if you guys have any maybe perhaps more firm definitions of what this thing is. But to me, it seems like a like a non not a non-existent like speech can be hateful, but then hate speech is inherent speech and is is, is inherently subjective, the, at least in on the receiver end. So I understand the incitement to violence argument. I understand the yelling fire in a crowded theater argument. Uh, I think that when it comes to a private institution, once again, if I'm in your theater and I get out fire and you take me to court and you and, we, and, and the, the court finds that there is no evidence that I actually saw that there would be a threat of fire, well, then perhaps I perhaps I should be punished. Whereas if there was some sort of evidence, if I had a video on my phone, then uh, perhaps there, there would be some more it would be reasonable for me to yell fire fire even if there wasn't a fire in the end but the point is that this is more contextual when it comes to inciting violence i don't see how this could ever be deemed deemed a in a well not necessarily inappropriate speech but illegal speech because this the and the incitement to violence argument to some extent disposes of volition and if, if you think that we are creatures of volition, if we have free will, well, then it doesn't mean that we can't be influenced, but it means that fundamentally the choices that we make are our own. So, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear if you guys have more firm definitions of what hate speech is. Um, so I think I think you you're right. Eli. I think it's, uh, you know, it's a it's a very. A serious thing to to limit someone's freedom of speech, and so the category of hate speech must be uh, the bar has to be set really high. Um, I don't think it can just be something that's offensive or insulting or rude or um, you know even say if someone says something racist or um, sexist or that it's not necessarily hate speech. It can be offensive and uh you know terribly hurtful and racist or whatever but it's it's not necessarily of that high level that needs to be uh regulated by the by the state and have some sort of uh legal consequence um i think um i would i would take the the approach of the constitutional court in south africa which i think made a really good judgment um not being biased <laughs> in any way of being South African, but uh, in the Masuku judgment, um, I think they they looked at the approaches of uh, different countries like the US um, and Canada, and um, eventually based on our own constitution, they looked, as you said, uh, very much on a contextual basis. What is the context of that specific kind of speech? So they know there's no real generalization. It depends on every, in every specific situation. And they try to apply an objective test to the 
speech. So it wouldn't be how did it make you feel as an individual, but more on an objective level. Um, what would the like informed uh, average person in that context, what would they think of that speech? So like in the context of uh, that speech that I was talking about, um, calling for incitement against um, Zionists in that context of that speech, we knew that he was talking about violence against Jewish people because um, the way that the, in the context of the rest of his speech, he was talking about specific Jewish suburbs and uh, people that went to certain um, schools and that. So um, in, in that context, it would be, uh, you know, it, it would have been deemed hate speech. Um, but there's a whole lot of other, you know, factors that need to come into it. Um, as I said, you are causing harm to a specific group um, and not necessarily depending on the intention of the of the speaker himself, because as you said, that can also be very subjective. Um, what do you think, <clears throat> Nolan? I would, I'm kind of shy from saying a definition of hate speech, because as you said, it's very contextual. And honestly, I don't think it's something that should be defined because uh, like in generally it's in society kind of views it as using speech that expresses like hatreds towards another person's identity of some sort but again that's a, a very broad definition that really is not taken into account context I can say I hate cheese doesn't mean I'm expressing hate hate speech and <clears throat> I, I think yeah the, there's no real like definition I, I could get behind and ultimately I think like it's something that especially like universities are have a different approach because their collection of students and I would say that there is and when you join a university or at some degree there is some honor code amongst each other's students so uh, yeah I'm shy from accepting a definition because really isn't one but it's and i would say it's some form of some form of a spent offensive speech towards another person's identity yeah so i i agree with you Nolan. i think that it is impossible to define as i said earlier and i wonder if you think that i, I assume that you would disagree with this but do you think and and this goes to you too romy that academic institutions should have the power to decide what is hate speech to deem what hate speech is and then act accordingly, banning, deplatforming, and et cetera. I'll just jump in and yeah, I, I would disagree with that because I do not think academic institutions should have that power. Obviously, if you do something that is against like the laws of this country, you should be um, <clears throat> dealt with like properly according to the law. But since hate speech is extremely contextual and the limits of free speech, is ill-defined that universities should not take it upon themselves to just go on a whim and decide what they decide to be limited and what they decide to be acceptable. So no, I do not think academic institutions should have their own guidelines independent of the laws of this land. And <clears throat> therefore, like they should not, they should not be the enforcers of what they deem the limits of free speech. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with Nolan as well. I think uh, you know, universities should be free spaces for people to have uh 
controversial views and have the opportunity to debate and engage with others and learn from each other. Um, but obviously within the limits of the law um, and each country has a different approach to hate speech. Um, you know, Germany takes a very different approach to the US. So I think it depends on, on the country. Um, and I, yeah, I think that uh, universities shouldn't be getting involved in these highly politicized, polarizing kinds of uh, debates, um, which obviously makes some students feel very, uh, you know, unwelcome and, and unsafe in certain spaces. So, yeah, I, I would tend to agree with Nolan. Yeah, I think those are both good points. I do want to highlight that while universities, in my opinion, should not go out of their way to seek out hate speech and bandy platform whether it's students or speakers for things that are clearly subjective uh, there are objective limits to this and i do think that if a student declares himself a nazi uh, if they declare themselves well a communist is a little more contentious to say but in an ideal society since those two ideologies are equally abhorrent i would also add communism to this but if, if a student declares himself a nazi and he seems to be in a position where there is nothing that can be done to convince him i do think they have uh, the right and perhaps even the moral obligation to dispose of the student um, and by dispose I, I simply mean to not allow him to enter their institution clearly not do any physical harm to the student but i think this is a good place to to wrap up um, if you guys are happy with it, I think uh, this was a very interesting podcast uh, today, a very interesting episode. We talked about uh, the the definition of free speech, free speech being a negative freedom as opposed to a positive freedom, as opposed to uh, what we heard from George Orwell at, at the start. Uh, this means that freedom of speech is the freedom from interference from others. And we also touched upon some of the nuances within that definition. We discussed the problem of academic institutions curtailing freedom of speech and the nuances within that particular issue. Uh, we talked about the difference between public and private spaces in regards to our freedom to express our opinions on these two completely different types of spaces. And we concluded with the subjectivity of speech, specifically in regards to hate speech and the impossibility of defining such an absurdity. Thank you very much. Thank you.